I was watching a preacher on television the other night, and as I listened, he said, if you are a Christian, God wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be wealthy. I suppose that message appeals to all of us because we would like to think of ourselves as being a pampered child of a heavenly father. However, the reality is that being a Christian can lead to persecution and rejection and can complicate life sometimes. Now, I'm not really talking about being a Baptist or being a member of some other denominational church. But I am saying that if one is a committed believer, that it can complicate life. It can do so in business. In the first century, there was a stonemason who was asked to help build a building that was going to become a pagan temple. The question he had is, as a Christian, am I allowed to do this? There was a tailor who was asked to design a robe for a pagan priest, and the question in his mind was, as a Christian, am I allowed to participate in that? So I say that to say to you that being a serious Christian can sometimes complicate one's work life. One of those came to Tertullian, who was one of the early church fathers, and said, what am I to do? I must live. To which Tertullian replied, must you? You see, being a Christian can complicate life. It can complicate the workplace. It can complicate a family. I had a guide some years ago in Israel whose father was an Orthodox rabbi. Yehuda became a believer. He committed his life to Jesus Christ and began to live out his Christian life. As a result of that, he was rejected by his family, and he was treated as if he were dead. If one becomes a serious believer in Christ, it can complicate one's relationship to one's family. And certainly it can cause problems in your social life. It did in the New Testament times, and it still does today. As a believer... If I am sincere in my commitment to Christ, what can I do and what should I not do? In what can I participate and in what should I not participate? And I know that that is a real struggle today. So as we continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount, and it isn't going to get easier as we go along. We are finishing up the Beatitudes Our focus today is going to be on Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, but I think I'm going to read all of it, beginning in verse number 1, since it's been a while since we've looked at it. Jesus is speaking. He went up on the, he saw the multitudes, went up on the mountain, he sat down. His disciples came to him, and opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then our text today, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, there are Bible scholars who believe that in verses 10 through 12, there is one beatitude with two blessings. And that's the way I'm going to present it. That this is one beatitude with two blessings. Now, he said, blessed are those who suffer, verse number 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is Christians are not exempt from suffering. We would like to think we are, but we are not. There are three primary reasons, I believe, why we do suffer. One is because of cause and effect. In other words, some of our suffering we bring on ourselves because of our actions. The Scripture says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. In other words, there are consequences to our actions. And some of our financial difficulties are difficulties that we bring on ourselves. For instance, if you were to decide, all right, I'm not going to tithe, I'm not going to trust the Lord in this area of faith, The consequence is that you forfeit God's blessings on your finances. My father told me when I was a boy, and I've mentioned this to you before, and I I appreciate so much him saying this to me because it was, Wendell, it is better to have the 90% with God's blessings than to have the 100% without God's blessings. But if you choose that, then you forfeit God's blessings upon your finances. You see, sometimes we spend more than we take in, and as a result of that, we end up in debt. We see that within our own country today, within our own government today. We are spending money that we do not have, and that has led to a financial crisis within this land that is spread around the world. That is the consequence of our actions. Sometimes we have difficulty within our business because of poor business practices. That's it. When I look for a finance committee each year, I say to the finance committee, and and our church has, has always been blessed with a wonderful committee, but I say to them each year, I want two things from you. Number one, I want you to be people of faith. Because without faith, it's impossible. Please, God. So I want you to be people of faith who really believe God, who really trust in God. Secondly, I want you to be people who understand good business practices. I don't think that they are mutually exclusive. I think that both of them are important. I think it's important that we are people of faith, but that does not exempt us from good business practices. So I say that to say to you that sometimes there there is are the consequences of our actions. That is true financially. That is true physically. Do you know why some of us have some of the health issues we have? Because we don't eat right. Because we don't exercise. 
Because we don't rest as we should, because we don't do what we need to do. And so there are consequences then to our actions, even maritally. Folks, some of, some of your marital problems are problems that uh, you have brought on yourself. For instance, the Bible says that as a believer, we are not to be unequally yoked. The Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6:14, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, I know that whenever I say that, that I'm probably stepping on a lot of toes. But I didn't say that. I just read it. That was the Apostle Paul who did it. So you talk, let me say this to you, especially to you young people who will get married someday. Marriage is not a missionary endeavor. Some of you think, oh, I know he's a scoundrel, but boy, I'm going to shape him up. No, you're not. No, you're not. And so we bring these problems on ourselves. And then when we get married, we have marital problems because we don't bother to take the time to understand each other. If that's possible. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. Let me give you a just a real brief insight to marriage and understanding. Men, what is the number one need that your wife has? Now, this is critical because if you don't understand this, you'll miss it in other areas. What is the number one need that your wife has? Security. More than anything else, she needs to feel secure. That, then, is what you should give to her. Let her feel secure in that you love her. There's no question in her mind. She knows that you love her. She is secure in the fact that you love her. She needs to feel financially secure. She needs to feel protected. The number one need she has is security. So that's what you ought to try to give to her. Ladies, what is the primary need of your husband? Admiration. He needs to be admired. And you are not meeting his need if you are constantly criticizing him. If you criticize everything he does, if you belittle everything he does, if you do that, then you are not meeting that need of admiration. So very simply, and I'm talking about a basic thing here, the number one need of the wife, men, is security. So give her security. Let her know how much you love her. Give her security. And wives, admire your husband. My wife is the best admirer. I, you know, and I know she's faking it, but I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> The, the, the reason we suffer sometimes is cause and effect. We bring the problems on ourselves. Another reason is because of spiritual trials. Sometimes we suffer because of our commitment to Christ. And certainly the Apostle Paul did. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. All those things. And he said in, in 2 Corinthians 1.8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, 
of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Do you understand that? Because of his commitment to Christ, he said, I was about to despair because of the suffering I was experiencing. John was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, but he was taken from that church and and taken to Patmos where he was exiled. He suffered because of his commitment to Christ. Today there are hundreds of thousands of Christians who are suffering and being martyred because of their commitment to Jesus, because they committed to him. So sometimes our suffering comes as a result of cause and effect. Sometimes it's spiritual. And sometimes it's mysterious. We just don't know. That's the most difficult to deal with. Job didn't know why he was suffering. He lost his children, lost his cattle, he lost everything he had, he lost his health, he lost everything. His wife turned against him, all those things. He didn't understand, why is this happening to me? He continued to serve the Lord, but he didn't understand why he was suffering. And there are some of you who are going through a difficult time in your life. And I've had people to say to me, you know, I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm trying to be faithful to the Lord. I don't know why this is happening to me. They're suffering. So Jesus said, blessed are you when you suffer, verse number 11. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Vine said the word persecuted means to put to flight, to drive away, to pursue Barnes said to persecute means literally to pursue, follow after, as one does a flying enemy. Here it means to vex or oppress one on account of his religion. Now, I want you really to focus on what Jesus is saying here. When you are persecuted to vex because of his religion. The Greek language gives insight in this. First of all, it is a a passive participle. Now, what that means then, it speaks of one who is willing to be harassed because of their commitment to Christ and unwilling to compromise that commitment to avoid persecution. Let me say that again. It is a passive participle. And it speaks of one who is willing to suffer because of their commitment to Christ and unwilling to compromise in order to avoid suffering. I just recently finished the book Bonhoeffer. Now, I'm familiar with Bonhoeffer, and I've read some about him, the cost of discipleship and so forth. But in this biography, a recent book that has come out, I'm just absolutely amazed at his commitment to the Lord and his willingness to suffer. He was willing to suffer. In fact, I was talking with a friend of mine, asking if he'd read the book, and he said that he had not. And he said, but some members of our Sunday school class have. And I said, well, what did they think? And he said, well, after reading it, they said, I'm not sure that he was a Christian. That's interesting, because after I read it, I wondered if I were. (laughs) Because that's that's what he did. He was willing to suffer, to accept the suffering, and unwilling to compromise his commitment to Christ, to avoid it. So it is a passive participle in the perfect tense, which means continuous action. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that we suffer because of our commitment to him, 
And because we're committed to Him, it isn't going to stop. See, sometimes we think that it's going to, that, you know, I'm going to serve the Lord and everything's going to be just fine. Not necessarily. And it certainly was not for Bonhoeffer because he was martyred as a result of it. And then Jesus says, and then cast insults at you. And that means to attack with words. Barnes says, thus they said of Jesus that he was a Samaritan and had a devil, that he was mad, and thus they reviled and mocked him on the cross. Friends, if you stand for Christ, if you are a committed Christian, living out a Christian life, people are going to say unkind things about you. Now, we, we want everybody to think well of us and to say good things about us. And I'm not talking about being obnoxious. You know, there, there are some people who are just obnoxious in their faith. I remember hearing a preacher preaching one time, and I mean, he just blasted all of us. And after it was over, I heard some guys walking out, and one of them said, Well, you know, I'm saved too, but I'm not mad about it. Well, sometimes we're just obnoxious in our faith, and I'm not talking about that. That's not what he's talking about. If you, if you live out the Christian life, people will say unkind things about you. And he says, save against you falsely. The key word there is falsely. Make sure when they are speaking negatively about you that it isn't true. Barnes wrote, it is not blessed to have evil spoken of us if we deserve it. But if we deserve it not, then we should not consider it as a calamity. You know, the truth is, Christians have always been persecuted. And they still are. Nero used to take Christians, and he would cover them with pitch and set them on fire and use them to light his garden parties. He took some of them and sewed them in animal skins and turn the hunting dogs loose on them for sport. There has always been persecution of Christians. And we don't experience that kind of persecution today. At least here in America we do not, but there's another kind. There's resentment. Are you surprised, as I am, at how much Christians are resented in society today? Chuck Colson spoke about a a report, a poll that had come out, and the question was asked, who is the person you would least like to live next door to? You know what they said? A conservative Christian. I mean, I'm a pretty good neighbor. But that that is where we live. So there is resentment towards Christians. You are ostracized as a Christian. Your views are considered to be unimportant, irrelevant. So Jesus said, blessed are you when you suffer. The point I want you to understand is, dear friend, just because you're a Christian does not mean you're exempt from suffering. We suffer. So Jesus promises a blessing. In verse number 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Your reward in heaven is great. We know that, that when I get to heaven, it's going to be great. But did you know that sometimes God does bless us while we're here on earth? Now, not all the time would we say that we are prosperous, but God does sometimes bless us here on earth. For instance, there's the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Joseph was lied about by Potiphar's wife. He was thrown in prison by Potiphar and all those things. But did you know that God took Joseph 
and raised him up to become the prime minister of Egypt. Daniel was persecuted because of his commitment to God and by those who were jealous of him. The Scripture says in Daniel 6, 3, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel. Because they were jealous of him, they wanted to do Daniel in. You know the story of Daniel. He ended up in the lion's den and so forth. But God blessed him. And God raised him up and he became the prime minister of Babylon. Look at Jeremiah. God called Jeremiah to to be his prophet. And so Jeremiah is preaching the Word of God, but the people hated him because they didn't like the message. They wanted to kill him. They threw him in a cistern. But God raised him up to be a great prophet. My friend, the question is not if you are going to be persecuted. It is when you are going to be persecuted because as a believer you will. Some of you young people at school... Uh, you will be ridiculed. You'll be ostracized if you stand for Christ. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying if you're a religious person. You know, we, sometimes uh, we just think that, if, well, if, if I just am a good little Baptist or a good little Methodist or a good little Presbyterian or whatever things going to be. No, I'm talking about being a Christian. Really sold out to Jesus. If you are then there's going to be some persecution that you endure. At work, it could be that if you live for the Lord, that you're going to be passed over for promotion. And I know people to whom that has happened. So what will you do then is to think of God's blessings. You may not receive the blessings from work. You may not receive the blessings at school. But the blessings of God, well, what would they be? To know that you are in God's will brings great satisfaction. Doesn't it? If I know that I am in God's will, it brings great satisfaction to my life. And then one day to stand before him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. All right. So we're going to be persecuted. We're going to suffer. There's going to be difficulty, challenges in life. How are we to respond to it? What is our posture? Look at verse number 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How are we supposed to respond? Rejoice. Come on. I am suffering. I am being persecuted. And I'm supposed to... That's got to be a misprint. Rejoice. That's what it says. Well, that's not what I want to do, do you? I mean, when I am suffering, the last thing I want to do is to rejoice. That's the reason I'm always impressed with the story in the book of Acts about Paul and Silas when they were in prison. And the Bible says at midnight they're praising the Lord. They're singing hymns and they're praising the Lord. I don't think I would have done that. I'd be calling my lawyer. But that's what he says, rejoice. Why? When you are going through difficulty... Bad things are said against you falsely. You're being persecuted because of your commitment to Christ. You are to rejoice. Why? Because it says that your faith is authentic. 
If you're being persecuted because of your commitment to Christ, it says that your faith is authentic. The Scripture says in Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake. So when you are living out the Christian life, and there is suffering that comes as a result of it, You can rejoice. Why? Because it says that your faith is authentic. Secondly, because it produces steadfastness within you. James 1.3 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The word endurance literally means to bear up under, dependable. You know, someone who has gone through the fire is steadfast. They are not easily shaken. If I were going to battle, I want my commander to be someone who has been in the battle already. I would much prefer to have someone who is battle-tested. Because that person endures. That person is steadfast. So when you go through the, the, the difficulties of life, the challenges of life, because of your faith, rejoice. Why? Because it causes you to be steadfast. You stand strong. And then you can rejoice because it produces maturity. James 1.4 says, And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When you go through times of suffering, the Bible says that it causes us to be mature. He says, Rejoice. Be glad. Barclay said the word for glad has been derived from two Greek words, which means to leap exceedingly. It is the joy which leaps for joy. It is the joy which leaps for joy. So how are we to respond? He says rejoice and then be glad. I don't see a lot of people jumping up and down praising the Lord when they're going through difficult times. But that's what that word says. Why? Because your reward is great. Corrie Ten Boom was hunted by the Gestapo. She said, I have looked death in the eyes, not once but often. What a joy it was that Jesus was with me. I was not afraid. I knew that when they killed me, I would go to the house of the Father with many mansions. What a joy. I knew the best was yet to be. So he says to us, whenever you are experiencing suffering and persecution because of the cause of Christ, be glad because your reward is great, and secondly, because you're in good company. Look at verse number 12b. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you are going through times of suffering because of your faith in Christ, rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great. And the prophets before you suffered also. Let me uh, conclude. Christians are persecuted. Christians do suffer. If you live your life for the Lord, you will. It's It's not if, but when. But the Lord is using that in your life to make you what He wants you to be. Billy Graham told a story about being at a building site, and he he saw a man that was working on a stone, and he was chipping off and so forth, but he was working on that stone. And he noticed that up in the tower there was a a blank spot up there, and so he said that the man was asked the question, 
What are you doing? He said, I'm shaping this down here so it will fit up there. Folks, that's what Jesus does in your life. He is shaping us down here so we will fit up there. Blessed are you when you suffer for Christ and bad things are said against you falsely. Your reward in heaven is great. Our Father, I suppose that all of us wonder how we would respond if our suffering were more than it is. And Lord, it is our belief and our faith that you are sufficient for whatever we experience. I pray, Lord, for these, some who are going through challenging times and times of suffering, that you would comfort and encourage them and strengthen them today. I pray, Lord, for those who are trying to go through life without Christ, that today they may commit their life to you. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir will sing. We extend an invitation. If you're here without Jesus, would you come and trust Him today? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. If you want someone to pray with you, come. Our deacons be happy to do that. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.